Hello, I'm Kalyan Karmakar and welcome to my show, Foodocracy for Her. This is a podcast which features women in the world of food in India. And it's the longest running podcast covering this um, subject and probably the only podcast doing so. Uh, my my guest today is someone whom it is tempting to uh, describe as a diva of Indian food writing and the Indian food world. But the only thing is through personal experience and by meeting her, I've known that she's really a very warm person, very encouraging, very helpful. And I'm talking of someone who's written 20 books, who's um, known as the Salad Queen of India and done various TV shows. And, and I'm talking of Karen Anand. And uh, with no ado, let's uh, move on to Pune uh, to speak to Karen and at her home base. So we are off to Pune by Zoom, and there is uh, Karen. Uh, it's so lovely to have you on board. It's so lovely. Thank and, you. Thank you, you know, uh, Karen's written a very uh, lovely book very recently, and we're going to be discussing this very soon. I hope this is not showing in reverse on no, your No, no, that's correct. <laughs> because in my side is screen. So we're going to learn a bit more about Masala Mem Sahib and, and her story. So, uh, Karen, you've got a very interesting beginning. You're a Bombay girl, then uh, went to London, went to Paris. Uh, so what, what is happening there? Well, that's my life. But it's interesting for... When I look back, of course, it's interesting because it's given me this, this whole background. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday, in fact, about, um, about culture and in the big, in big C, not small C, and, you know, background and all that. And actually, I was very lucky when I came back to Bombay, I had these, you know, attributes or whatever, which yeah. I didn't realize. I thought that's what I am. <laughs> but I think having spent, you know, in those days, if you remember, you know, 3000 years BC, <laughs> um, in the 80s, mid 80s, yes. people didn't travel so much. Those were the days where you didn't have a credit card, yeah. you had, what, $500 to go abroad, you know, all of that. So travel wasn't very uh, common and people only went if they were either rich or they were businessmen. Yes. Uh, and I'd come from, you know, from somewhere that uh, was very exciting for me as well, but also for a lot of other people. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the, the beginning helped uh, in terms of career and other things. So, yeah, I was born in Bombay. My parents, uh, my father got a, a transfer and decided to go, uh, actually decided to go to America, but they stopped in, in England on the way, as many Indians did then, and uh, had a rather demanding uh, mother who said, stay on. <laughs> and uh, they stayed on. And my, my mother hated England at the beginning. Wow. Uh, she had been, she had been, traveled before. My father was an engineer on the ships and he was a captain at that point. And, you know, before they, they, uh, before they had me. And um, so she had traveled quite a bit and she'd seen England. And of course, you know, as a, a chief engineer's wife or whatever, and you're stationed in Belfast for three months and <clears throat> in the UK, you, you have quite a nice life. Uh, but when she went to live there and suffered the cold and she was quite a diva herself, <laughs> not in the kitchen because she didn't lift a spoon. Um, she was, she didn't like it at all. So um, it was it was quite tough for her. And then when, you know, I had a, a normal schooling, um, like all Indian parents, they did as much as they could to educate these two girls, you know, and they sent us to what was considered very good schools and all of that. I don't see that happening so much with 
uh, with UK parents. It's only people who are, as I say, well-to-do that would send their children to private schools and so on. But, but you know, Indian parents want the best. That's true. Um, and the spelling with, bee contest. But of course, that's yeah, and, and you know, um, the best and also what, yeah, what they consider. Listen, it's what, what everyone in their culture considers the best, right? Absolutely. And uh, and I, you know, no regrets. And then when I was 18, I decided to do what's called a gap year. Yeah. And I went to Paris and I lived with a family and I kind of opaid a little bit, was a bit loose. So I kind of helped them a little bit with a, their little girl. And in return, you know, I got to stay in a fabulous area of Paris. Wow. And I think that has definitely um, made a huge impression on my life and on what I was going to do. Um, just that one year. And of course, I'd been going to France earlier. Uh, I had a pen pal. My mother made sure I would, you know, I learned French in school. My mother made sure that I would go every summer to meet this girl. I mean, she was really quite a, a pushy lady, but quite, you know, I mean, she got things done. Yeah. And um, in a way, it's good you stayed back in England so you didn't have to get confused about your spelling. If you've gone to the US, you have that's to learn true. English once again. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, so I, I spent a year in Paris, but as I said, I've been quite often to France before that. So after that year, my French, I was bilingual completely because I was at the Sorbonne. And then uh, also I, being in this French family, I spoke French 24 hours a day. So it was great, so accomplishment. And then I came back and did university in the UK. If, um, if I can just uh, stop you there, because sure. something interesting about your uh, Paris sojourn, which I saw in the book, and the two things. One was that going to Paris or going to France sort of made you realize that both men and women cook. So unless like what you saw in India. And actually, my, my father was in the UK for about 14 years. Mm. He was the one who taught my mom to cook when she got married and went there. So that's one point. Uh, the other point was you you discovered that you can cook and you can cook Indian food despite not having had a grandmom who'd cook Indian food around you. <laughs> most most uh, sort of authors or chefs say that they've learned everything from their grandmoms. But no, no, no. I, I didn't have I didn't around. have grandmothers around. Yeah. So, um, well, I had one in the UK, but she lived with an uncle. So I, I very rarely saw her and she didn't really get on that well with my mother. So it was just on, you know, family occasions. Um, the other grandmother of mine, I believe, was a very good cook, yes. but she was in Goa and then uh, in her last years in Bombay. So I had no contact with her. My mother didn't cook. So I really had Mother Jaffrey, um, <laughs> you know, Mother Jaffrey mummy um, and I and Mother Jaffrey's books. Yes. And her first book, I think it wasn't the taste of it was a Indian home cooking. But one of her, I think it was the first book. It was a little paperback. And. You know, my mother managed. It's not that she was a terrible cook. She managed what she could. She would, you know, I've talked in, in the book about Patak's masala, you know. That's she true. had these Kashmiri masalas which went into everything. Uh, when she came to India on holiday or anybody was traveling, uh, there was a lady called um, Mrs. Kenny, I think, in Baikala who would make dry masalas, you know, Bafat masala, and things for Anglo-Indian, Mangalorean, East Indian, Goan food, you know, that sort of diaspora. So my mother would get all these, and I don't think it's a bad idea. They were very nice. They were freshly ground, you know. And so one of those would go into everything. And my father, being an Indian, uh, also my mother, actually, loved their Indian food. Um, and it wasn't really 
defined by any region because they came from Bombay. So they liked Bombay food. You know, they liked samosas and pav bhaji and, and vada pav and things like that. Uh, and of course, they liked their Goan food. Um, but they also liked anything that was Indian, anything spicy, you know. Uh, those were not the days where you could get things in Marks and Spencer's or, you know, which you can today. Um, you wouldn't go out. They wouldn't go to a fine dine. There was no fine dine Indian restaurant. So there was South Hall and Wembley and places like that. So, yeah, I mean, they hankered after Indian food, but I, I learned nothing at home. <laughs> and, um, and I took Madhu Jafri with me to Paris. Yes. And then there I would go through, you know, her book. And because people said, oh, you're Indian. Why <laughs> don't you cook Indian? And of course, I, I didn't know any Indian food. Yes. But that's where I learned also the basis of my French cooking and really what I wanted to bring to the table when I came back to India. So that one year was very important. Yeah. And then I went, you know, I actually got into Cambridge, oddly enough. I never told my father, um, but I didn't choose Cambridge because they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me defer. Okay. And I was, I wanted to go to Paris. So I went to Sussex, which gave me a, you know, unconditional offer. And I went primarily, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're so stupid. You, you base your decisions on very strange things. So my decision was based on the fact that Sussex University was very near the coast. And therefore, I could hop along to Paris very often. And in those days, we just took the ferry or the, or the you know, um, what's the other thing? Um, Not the ferry. There was that um, hovercraft or hovercraft. whatever. Yes, yes, the hovercraft. So we could get to Paris in five hours kind of thing on this hovercraft and train or even, I think, four hours, actually. So I, I based my decision of where I went to university on how uh, easy it was to get to Paris every six weeks or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. The other thing I was wondering was if if I if you look at the twenty books you've written, yeah, um, one series which which really interests me is the simple cooking. I think you started with simple cooking for men, correct. Then went into different areas. So I was wondering whether um, your journey of learning how to cook, you know, um, uh, sort of led to the simple cooking series because. I mean, your cooking was all about practicality, right? Because I remember reading that when you met Jig Scholar, you said that your recipes and food are not lovely, but where will I get all the spices to create those dishes? Well, and Jig's was on a different thing. His thing was to recreate, um, you know, uh, old recipes to find. Uh, I mean, he was the one who actually, I think, started that whole dump book thing, which yes. the ICC is now, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so it was very important what he did, but it was certainly not simple. And my thing was to recreate even Indian food, to yes. recreate simple things, uh, not to make them up. I mean, a lot of the recipes in this book you'll see are very simple. Absolutely, that's yes. how we cook at home, and that's how you cook, uh, you know, every day. Um, and a lot of different people are looking at this book, so uh, hopefully they'll be able to see to choose yes. whether they want a celebration di dish or whether they they just want something, you know, easy to do. And I know people Simple are doing that because fun. Simple cooking was supposed to be a sorry, was supposed to be a yeah. a kind of a, a supermarket takeout book, you know. Yeah. Um, and I had it was actually difficult to do because twelve, although it was little books, <laughs> still twelve little books is quite a lot of work and a lot of recipes to think about. Yeah, especially because I decided yeah. that it would be for the smart the smart men, which I I had fun. <laughs> then it was the desperate housewife, um, children. I have a lot of children who come back yeah. to me who are not children now. Yeah. Who said that was their first book because it cost a hundred rupees yes. and it was their pocket money, you know. 
Uh, very nice and, stories. Nothing for the not so smart men. For the um, men. <laughs> no, they can also look at the same book. <laughs> no man but, would like to admit to that. No man yeah. would like to admit <laughs> to being not so smart. Yes. So um yeah so so the the simple cooking for smart men was just a it was just a title to draw the guys in you know um and it had chapters like you know if you want to woo a girl what what <laughs> might you cook um if you, you if you have no money at the end of the month you know yeah. um, what do you do how can you kind of make something interesting um with a packet of masala and four potatoes kind of thing you know <laughs> so yeah i had a lot of i had a lot of fun doing it so you had uh, catchy titles well before the world of SEO and, you know, making sort of words go with what's not going in the internet. Well, in those days, we had to, you know, Kalyan, I mean, you, we had to think of your in advertising. We yeah. had to think of catchy things. We had to use the brain, you know. And I'd also worked in Asian Age uh, for a month after college. Yeah. And uh, as a you know, sub-ed trainee. And, and we used to, all our fun used to be in formulating the highlines, the headlines. And you know, that used to be a, a big part of that. Absolutely. So how did a girl who suddenly realized that she could dish out kormas and parathas when she went to France, um, how did she become the salad queen when she came back to Mumbai or Bombay? Well, when I came back to Bombay, I I came back, I met somebody and I married him. So it was a kind of fait accompli. Um, I did, re well, not fait accompli that way. I mean, I'm, it was a, a love marriage and all of that. But it, it was just, here I was in Bombay. I was in a milieu that was very different. It was in a film milieu. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what, it was very exciting, but it was also very strange for me. And I was quite, after that first initial year of excitement with, in a marriage, excitement with a new place, excitement in a new house, you know, all of that. Then I said, oh, I'd like to get down to work now. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that, you know, I'd done international relations and I did French and Russian mm -hmm. at uni. There was nothing, absolutely nothing that that prepared me for, because mm -hmm. basically I had prepared myself to work in Europe. So I thought I would work, I would do a stint in UNESCO. And then I had a media job lined up. Um, I did a, I did it like you did the internship at yeah. Asian Age. I did an internship at L um, in the cuisine mm -hmm. section. Because the people I lived with when I was on my gap year, he was actually um, editor, redactor, you know, editor of L France at the time. So it was, that's what I'd set myself up for. Now I came to India, knew everything, uh, knew as an N, not K, um, <laughs> and didn't know what to do. So I applied for things in media, but of course my I had no Hindi. Uh, there was only Doordarshan in English. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit lost. And then I met Anil Dhakar at a party and Anil said, come and work with me at Devonair. And I said, Devonair, you know. And he said, no, no, I don't want you to be cover girl, but, you know, could you, could you write on? Yeah, he was really sweet. Because when I used to go to, like, Frank Samoy's to collect his copy, in those days, Frank used to, you know, people used to type. Yeah. yeah. Frank used to... We had to go and collect his copy yeah, yeah. and uh, no computers and all of that. Yes. So um, Frank used to have this big joke and we became great friends with Frank, Frank and Leela. Uh, you know, have you come to, uh, you know, what what do you do at Demelair? Yeah. So um, I started writing a column on food 
Um, because every day, you know, I was writing on various things. I was just mucking around in the office. <laughs> and I kept bringing these fantastic dabbas every day. And Anil would say, you know, where does this come from? And I said, home. And he said, who makes it? And I said, me. So wow. he would say, well, you know, why don't you write? Are you interested in writing on food? So I don't think I had huge knowledge, but I had more knowledge on, on should we say, global food than other people at the time, because only because I traveled and I was exposed to so much. So I just decided, you know, okay, I could write on food. And of course, I would do my research. And, and then also with Gul, who I was married to, we did a fair amount of traveling. We went to China, we went to all sorts of interesting places. And so I just made sure when I was at those places, I kind of, you know, when you, you have been educated and you kind of know what you should be looking for. So if I went to Bangkok, I would make sure that I would look at ingredients. I would, you know, tie up with a chef to teach me a few recipes. So I would get a hang of, of the food and ingredients and a little bit of cultural background wherever I was. Um, and that built up my portfolio of knowledge. Um, so it wasn't through a, you know, a I mean, a culinary school or anything. Um, so anyway, that's, that's how it started. And then when I came back to India, um, I found everybody was doing Indian food. Sanjeev Kapoor was around and all that. So I said, what can I do? And I, I didn't really have any depth of knowledge of Indian food at that time, not in my 20s. So I said, I, you know, it's really not correct for me to do Indian food. So let me do what I know, which was European food. And I think, you know, I was at the right time, at the right place. Uh, European food wasn't very big. We had... Uh, that Italian restaurant at the President Trattoria. Trattoria. And we had some chefs knocking around Taj who would do some kind of ban banquet, you know, English food. Um, so it was, yeah, I think it was a breath of fresh air. And salads were something which I was very keen on because it was something that I learned in France. And so, you know, I had 30, 40 salad recipes. Um, and I actually started a salad bar in Pune first. Okay. So, um, you know, um, I was listening to your story and, and I could empathize at one point because at a much younger age, when I was uh, eight, uh, is when we moved into India. Mm. And um, I had a lot of trouble adapting because the language was new, the food was new, uh, the heat and mosquitoes were new. Um, but the other thing which struck me was that um, you spoke of yourself as not being someone who was a trained expert, but you're someone who was learning. And, and sort of accepted that and were doing that, you know, showcasing that. Um, it which took me back. And and what you were saying is in a way what, uh, you know, the blogging movement was all about. My elder cat, Baby Loaf, wants to be on the show. So in, in a way, well, that's what the blogging movement was all about. It was like people who are not chefs or not into cooking. I mean, you know, people who, are, who had jobs, um, which have got nothing to do with food, they would come back and write. And, and that's where a lot of regional food writing started happening because as you mentioned even in a book launch that uh, there's still not enough which has been done to document regional food but where I found the connect is that um, you know when we did the uh, Times of India Kitchen Tales event at uh, Pune before the pandemic and I invited you and we very kindly come over and and you sort of stayed on till the end which was till lunch and I could see that a lot of people uh, you know the bloggers you know people who love food and everyone uh, were, were going up to you and uh, I noticed that how warmly you sort of welcomed them as if now that now that I, I feel that 
probably you felt I don't know maybe a sort sort of empathy because um, you know you were one of them at one point. Yeah, and I, think I have a, I have a very well I wouldn't say firm opinion, but I have an opinion on bloggers because I think on the one hand we all started yeah some of us had a little bit more advantage you know travel is a huge advantage yes, and yes. as you know and I see girls now blogging. I'm saying girls because I know girls more than boys are blogging and cooking. And then they come up with this sort of, um, um, you know, these sort of expert opinions. And, you know, it's taken me a long while as it has you to get to the point where I have an opinion on certain things. The opinion is based on experience. It's based on education. It's based on taste. It's based on many years of all of this. Yes. So while I totally empathize with bloggers and I totally understand that they want to learn and um, you have to spend time doing these things. Absolutely. It's not, you know, so I sometimes get a bit irritated with kids in their mid-20s calling themselves experts yeah. or calling them, I, yeah, you can say I'm discovering Bangkok or I'm, you know, yeah, absolutely. but calling themselves chefs, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's more more often men, you know, boys, you know, in their twenties, calling yeah. themselves chefs. You know, I I knew I know French chefs who said we had to work thirteen years hard slog in a kitchen before we could even utter the word chef. You know, or the uh, Japanese and uh, you know sushi. And then this documentary, uh, Jiro loves uh, sushi or something like that, where his son had to go through almost twenty years of just rolling the rice. Yeah. There you are. Till you can call yourself an expert or a chef or a food writer. And um, yeah, and food writers, they say, oh, you know, you taste food. No, I mean, I, I really, in a way, I was when I was doing the Times, you know, the Pune Times column for like, I think I, I did it for seven years or something. Um, uh, you know, it was it was tough because some restaurants are very good, but some aren't. Yes. And you still have to taste the food <laughs> and you still have to comment. And it's a bit like art, you know, someone has put their soul on the wall for yes. somebody or an installation and you can't be you can be truthful but you can't be harsh yes. and i find food is like that if somebody's cooked something they may not be you know you have to let them down gently you really do you can't say that's a load of rubbish it might be but you can you know there are ways of saying that like art you can say something's descriptive so similarly you can say you know taste great but maybe i would have done this or maybe you could have done that mm. or do you think it's really authentic or is it your is it your take on Don't, you know you learn these things sure. but um, that's my only thing about blogging and writing today because you know when we were younger we had a column in a newspaper so i did debonair i did oh god so many man's world uh, Indian Express, all columns. And and the t- uh, Telegraph now. Telegraph now. Telegraph now, I do when I do Global Spa, when I do something wellnessy, because, you know, health is still a concern to me. Um, and yeah, I can't, and I did HT for three years till a year ago. Um, that was every week, which became a bit much for me, but it was all about, it was ingredient based, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, I've done almost all these magazines. You know, I was editor of, uh, food editor of L for the first two mm-hmm. years. Um, so there we would do editorial pieces as well as the four recipes which we would, you know, take out and which you could keep in a in a kind of folder. Yeah. So yeah, I've done I've done it, done all of that. So we we used to write, 
And writing in a way, when you do it for a magazine or a newspaper or online, it gives you a discipline, right? You have to read your work back. You have to do all of that. Um, it's fitted within certain... Correct. If it's correct. Good. With blogging, I don't feel it's so disciplined. Mm. So a lot of the time, people are waffling. You know, they're writing a lot on stuff which is not so, you know, not so important. I'm guilty of that too. But, but you you know, you learn with time. I, I must say, I was talking to my mom a couple of days back and, and she started blogging a few years back. Yeah. She on my blog and then she has her own blog, Tabulous Mom. What's her own blog? Tabulous Mom. T-A-B-U-T-A-B-U-S oh. mom. So, uh, it, um, so it's it's very interesting. It's pretty eclectic. It started initially with the stories of her life. Mm. It was a very interesting story because she grew up in Delhi, um, became a, a sort of college teacher there, then <clears throat> had an arranged marriage with my father. So went uh, all the way to UK, uh, Canterbury, completely different uh, thing from Delhi, Panda Road. From there, they moved to Iran. Where uh, my, you know, with my dad went to, to work there. He was a doctor. Again, a completely different uh, sort of milieu. And then the revolution happened and they had to leave. And that's when my dad said that he wanted to come back to India. So mm. she came to Calcutta as well. And she'd never been to Calcutta. Very different from life in Delhi, even 15 years back, though there was a gap. My dad passed away early. So then she brought the two of us up. And then she used to go to her college in Howrah. I mean, you know, Calcutta to an extent. So, um, you know, it would be almost one and a half, two hours, uh, both ways. So it's just, uh, I mean, nothing to do with this, but it's just that I was sort of putting this together and I was saying that, wow. I mean, for us, the irritation is if, if uh, you know, if the power, not even the power in Bombay, the power also doesn't go. But uh, yeah, so so um, she was telling me about her blog and, and she was revisiting some of her articles which she'd written about Iran or... UK and all of that so, and, and working on them. So I said, what are you doing now? So she said, no, I just feel that when I started writing, they were pretty long pieces, but that's fine for a book. But I'm trimming it down now because people want to get to the point. So I think that what you said about waffling, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, once I started getting the hang of writing, initially they were like Instagram size posts, but then I went into very detailed stuff about you know, search for biryani in Lucknow and, you know, this. Yeah, yeah, I saw that of yours, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's but, very important and it's very, yeah. whereas mine, because I, you know, I came from a background where I had to keep doing essays and essays yeah. and essays. You know, a friend of mine joined HBO uh, in the old days and he was with me at uni and I said, what's it like? He said, it's like I have to do proposals for new shows. Wow. He said, it's just like uni. We're just writing essays, but we call them proposals. So I think when I first started writing on food, it was a bit like that, except I made sure that it would not be over. I think the discipline of 800 words yeah, yeah. is very important. You know, so once you know that your limit is 800 words, now I think it's even less. I think people read less. Yeah. You know, they want visuals, but they want 400 words max, you know, although most of my articles are 800, but. Um, but I think the, the, the days of 2000 has gone. I remember I used to write for India Today yeah. um, in their travel section. And I remember they used to say, you know, we want a minimum of 2000 words. I think those I, days have gone. I'd written a book on, uh, sorry, post on Maharashtrian uh, cooking. Mm. And, and that had become pretty long so for NDTV and online. So I said, do you want to cut it into two? So they said, no, let this be the way it is so that if people want to sort of get information in Konkani food, it'll 
uh, be there. But but when I wrote for press, like Femina, Times of India, Indian Express and all of that, I think that's where the discipline came in, that how to sort of make a point in 800 words, 600 words, 400 words. Mm. But talking of press, I mean, uh, you know, very famous sort of TV show, which you did, uh, the Good Food Show, and, and yeah. you know, it, it quite a bit. And, uh, uh, you know, it was probably a fairly novel for its time to someone travel I across. Think it was the India. first food and travel show. I think yeah. food Sanjeev Kapoor started around the same time, but he was doing, you know, the, the recipe yeah. show. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was anybody that did. And, you know, thanks to Peter Mukherjee, because he was at Star at the time and headed, I think, what did he head Star? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. And we used to meet socially and he said, you know, I think you'd be great on, on, a, tra on a food travel show. And um, and he got a producer and he put it together and um, and it worked. And I think it was one of the first. I mean, you know, it was cowboy time. You know, we used to make it up as we went along. <laughs> and Siddharth. And Kapoor, how did you find that? Sorry. The, how did you find that traveling across India? Because you are sort of exposed to one sort of life. But when you're traveling across India and like 10 years back, it's, it's very different, right? Like you said, cowboy yeah, it's, very, well it's a bit rough and ready. It was okay. Um, you know, people are very respectful to women when you travel, and I find that's nice. Um, and it's fine. I mean, and often I would stay with friends, or you know, there were no budgets for anything, so right. I would stay with friends or stay with families, or that kind of you know, positive view. Um, but yeah, it was just like if you're in the hot sun, that was more unpleasant. You're in the hot sun doing an intro, and the cameraman has run out of battery, <laughs> yeah, and then you have to repeat it. And then the, the, the light guy is going somewhere and then you have to repeat it. And then the sound guy's battery is gone. You have to repeat it. So that sort of thing was irritating, you know. Yeah, the, um, batteries of, the battery is like... The batteries, <laughs> the light, uh, the batteries of each individual person, right? And then, um, and then the sun goes. So the light needs to change, you know. Um, yeah, that was a bit, because I'm not an actress. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think a lot of Madhu Jaffrey's um, popularity and prowess in a way was because she was an actress. And yeah, so I she, mean, yet did she, she, it didn't seem like she was acting, but she knew the ropes, she knew, she knew. Oh yeah, um, I don't think she was such a cook. I mean, Sayed Jaffrey told me when, you know, I knew him quite well. And Sayed used to tell me that, I, I don't know whether you know the story of how Madhur got on air. No, well, I didn't. apparently um, Jennifer, who was Sayed's second wife, who was English, used to work, um, I think as a secretary or something for the BBC. And one of the guys said, you know, we would love to have an Indian food show. And she recommended her husband, Sayed. So Sayed went for the interview kind of thing. He was an actor. Yeah. He said, listen, I know five dishes, <laughs> mainly Lucknowi food because he was from Lucknow. But really my wife Madhur, uh, my ex-wife Madhur is, is the cook. You know, she really cooks well. She comes from an old Kayas family, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how Madhur came into it. And because she was... I don't mean she was an actress in a bad way, but... I know, but you know, she knew the sort of... Yeah, you know, the energy you need because you do something and you can't talk like this. You have a bit of energy and you're doing something. And yeah. I remember when I was doing, you know, my shows, they used to keep saying, no, no, you're flat. Do it again with... And I didn't know bring what they energy. meant. Bring in energy. Yeah, not their energy. Yeah, energy change. <laughs> and then I kind of understood what they meant. You just bounce up and down a bit. Not like a clown, but I have a little bit of modulation in your voice yeah. all of that as an actress you would have learned yeah. you would have learned how to breathe you would have learned how to i did a bit of amateur theater in school i mean nothing you know 
um, learned how to breathe, learned how to modulate your voice so that people keep listening. Um, yeah, very parallel which comes to mind is you know the your Bombay launch and Kunal Vijayakar who interviewed you and uh, sort of um, you know did the launch. But yeah. uh, he's an actor. He's he's done theater. Yeah, he's a comedian. So, so he knows the sort of audience. Who, uh, you know, the sort of facial expressions, the voice modulation, and 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 of course, he loves food. So mm. that's a great combination together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. No. He's very good. So, um, before I move to uh, you know the farmers market, I wanted to ask you: uh, you never considered doing a show for yourself on YouTube or? OTT or something like that or have you put that you know, my life went into different so I did three shows I did the good food guide I did um something for CNBC on Trendwell yeah. and then I did um another one ah called Cook Nakaho for that yeah. channel star one or whatever which never yeah. really took off and then after that I I think the I name. Got, <laughs> yeah yeah I was fun yeah. and then after all that I was probably by then in my early 40s and um, I think um, television is, you know, I think I was still pretty okay in my early 40s, but I think there was a lot of new blood coming in yeah. um, and television changed. I also got lots of spin-offs after television. You know, I got endorsement packages and all sorts of things. My life changed. I moved to Pune yeah. uh, permanently. Uh, I was sort of one foot in Bombay, one foot in Pune. My children were growing up. I got some very interesting, I got into consultancy, yeah. um, you know, and I learned a lot along the way. And, and you also developed your uh, range of like... Uh, yes, you know, we uh, started a small factory in Pune. It started from my home and then it got in, you know, from a garage to a small unit. And so that became quite, um, you know, quite popular. I mean, popular, but also quite a lot of work for me. But, but it just um, stood out in the supermarket. I mean, with the packaging and the sort of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great fun. Yeah. Um, and it did very well. And we were still at it. Then we stopped for a few years because we had some legal issues um, with a partner and so on. And then we got back again. So, yeah, but my second husband, he was, you know, he had a business and he was part of contemporary arts and crafts in Bombay. And then he said, no, let's do something with this food thing. You know, it's uh, something you've developed. Um, you've got these recipes, you know, let's... Uh, so he actually took it over and, and is doing it now and runs it. And I think wants to, now it's had enough. But uh, it's it's a big thing, being an entrepreneur and having ideas and then actually doing the nitty gritty of running a business, you know. Yes, yes. Um, so, so, yeah, so when I got, you know, in my early 40s, I was kind of trying half-heartedly to get back to, into TV and the people I knew in my mid-30s when I was doing TV had already left or they were doing other things. Um, and then I got into consultancy, which was quite lucrative. I got into, you know, doing our own little factory, which was hard work. And um, and I think for 10 years, I mean, I don't know where the 10 years went. It was also time when I needed to be with my children uh, a bit more. And we moved to Pune. Um, we, well, I, I've been living in Pune since I was 30, but, you know, as I said, I had a, a foot up and down. By then, I decided to settle in Pune, as it were. So there were lots of changes in my life, and I think yeah. I just didn't have the bandwidth to go and pitch to Bombay again, you know. Uh, I don't understand. And what I took out of uh, what you said 
is that um, often one tends to be fixated about something which one had done, like, you know, uh, writing or yeah. television or, you know, producing something or running, running a business. But I think what your career shows is that you you sort of do what you are enjoying at a particular time of your life. Uh, what you might enjoy at one point of your life might not do so. Uh, you might not do so in another phase. And, um, you know, it's it's really joy which sort of drives one, right? I mean, it is joy. It's joy. It's fun. Yeah. If you're not having fun, you don't do anything properly. And right? the definition of joy changes, you know, possibly. Yeah, but you also, you know, let's be frank, as a woman, I think it's important to make money. It's important to have fun. It's important to have a bit of passion. Uh, it's important to learn. I'm learning constantly, you know. So I've got a trip planned in July where I want to go to certain things. I mean, I, I don't know Thailand very well, so I'm discovering a little bit about the East. And I want to know more rather than just restaurants, you know. That doesn't do it for me. I, 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 I've I gone out of that. As you say, joy changes. <laughs> joy for me now is not to eat a meal and sit in a restaurant anymore. Same it really right. isn't. I no, can't, I, yeah. unless it's an extraordinary meal, I go and see Gagan and talk to him or something, unless it's something extraordinary. Um, like I had a friend who had a, a cook, you know, a local cook. She used to take me to the market in Bangkok. I used to look at things with her. We used to come home and cook the dishes. That is joy to me. But joy to me no longer is sitting in a restaurant, dissecting food, looking at very, you know, I don't know about you, but that very styled yeah. Michelin kind of food really Absolutely. doesn't do it for me anymore. True. I mean, when I started writing, I mean, that's what the blog is called, Finely Chopped. So, you know, you go to yeah, restaurants yeah. and dissect them. But, uh, I mean, with time, you sort of uh, morph. Okay, uh, one more question before you get into your book. Tell me a bit about uh, the Pune Farmer's Market because it, it, it happened, started well before Farmer's Market became a buzzword, uh, you know, in Bombay and so on. Yeah. So, so what made you start that? Uh, what was well, the as I said, so my 40s was sort of doing all these consultancies. So I consulted for many companies, which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed and I found that I was really good at developing recipes. So I worked for big companies. I worked with Pepsi, I worked with Britannia, developed really, and, and it gave me huge amounts of confidence, you know, um, that I could do something for these big international companies uh, and that I was good at it. And that also helped my business and my food business because I learned to develop new recipes. So that was a phase in my 40s. And then in my early 50s, I said, okay, done all that. Um, I continued a little bit, um, but not so much with consultancies because then I was building up my own business and I found I couldn't do both. So, um, and I found that, you know, there were so many, we've been abroad and we keep going to farmer's markets, right? Having said that, a lot of farmer's markets in Europe now have become really repositories of everything. Yeah. They're not like I go to one in Lido in Venice where I, I live when I go and, you know, it has clothes and it has all sorts of things. Yes. So the original farmers markets, as you know, were just food uh, and vegetables and local things. And so I said, you know, we have the local Mandi in, in India. We have the Pune Mandi and the Pune market, but it's not a joyful place where people yeah. who are young entrepreneurs can come and show their jams or their pickles or their, and uh, we wanted to make it into a kind of festival, you know, because we'd seen this abroad, to be frank. And and I thought there was going to be an audience here. And as with a lot of things in my life, things happened. 
I was talking to the GM of, a, of the Westin Hotel in Pune. They have a beautiful big ground. And he said to me, you know, the Westin also stands for eco and um, environment. So I'll give you this bit of land at the back and do something. And, and I did. You know, I never go into anything thinking there's going to be a disaster. I always go into things thinking it's going to be positive. So my husband and I went up to, everyone I went up to Mahabalishwa and we met some farmers yeah. and we said, grow this, grow that, grow the other. And we monitored what they were growing. You know, typically these English vegetables, what they call English vegetables, were grown, but people didn't know when to pluck them. Yeah. So they would get zucchini that big, you know. Uh, <laughs> they didn't know broccoli that big. So I said, it's not about size, you know. So we trained the farmers and they came to <clears throat> the market. They would dump their vegetables. They had no idea what they were supposed to do. So the first farmer's market, we maybe had 15 stalls. And one of the last one, it went up to about 100 stalls. Wow. <clears throat> and then people got very excited. And we got offers from Calcutta and from Bangalore and from Chennai and lots of people, different people, people who are in charge of malls who would say, come and do it in our mall. So we made some mistakes. You know, sometimes the mall format didn't work. Sometimes it did. Um, hotel formats worked very well, oddly enough. Yeah. And the Westin was still one of the great places because it had a huge ground. Mm -hmm. So then my son was studying hospitality abroad. He came back. <coughs> I'm sorry. He came back and he said, why don't we take this to the next level? He was very excited. Um, and since he had a hotel management background, um, he's very much a doer. And he said, let's take this to the next level. Um, I'd already started incorporating local wines. Um, I'd incorporated local restaurants. So since I was already doing the the Pune um, guide for the Times, yeah. I knew all the restaurants through the guide. You know, I knew. I mean, we'd already given awards to the big, to the good restaurants. So I knew which kind of restaurants to pick for, uh, you know, for the market. So I would pick, you know, one Maharashtra and one this, one that and asked them to pass, participate in the market, which was great because then I would say they were award-winning restaurants that we're choosing, you know, choosing. So I had that, you know, did all of that. So we, then it became a much bigger scene. So it became people who wanted to just, from cupcake girls to people who want to, uh, wanted to um, launch a new product. For example, I think Paper Boat launched with us in Delhi. Okay. Oh. Yeah, when they were very small and wanted to see it was a good marketing strategy yeah. for a lot of companies without without costing much. You know, just participation. Guess marketing. Yeah. Guess so marketing. Boat, um, that wonderful juice, the raw pressery, they launched oh. with us. Um, a lot of people launched and with these us. These are all successful brands today. People yeah, raw pressery has now yeah. changed. Yeah. But yeah, I think Anuja's thing in the beginning was fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, makeup brands that wanted to do natural makeup. So then from food and beverage only, we went into anything natural. So it got into natural fabrics, natural, not so many. I limited those to like 10 stores. So it didn't look like a, you know, a sort of um, flea market. Yeah. yeah. Um, natural fabrics, natural shoes, um, hemp. There was a, a guy who had hemp yeah. fabrics and clothes. And people bought those, you know, because it was different to just food. Uh, natural bath and body care became very big. Um, and I said, okay to that, because I think if it's natural, it, it's the same kind of person. I would go to buy, um, you know, a cake or a, 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 um, a jar of something. 
But I also, I'm, if I'm doing that, I'm also the kind of person that might want a natural shampoo. And so we got a lot of those as well. So it was fantastic. It was great fun. Kalyan, I had, we made a little bit of money, not a lot, enough to kind of cover all our expenses and stuff. Um, we started getting very good sponsorships. Um, but towards the end, I think with what happened was that terrible. So we did it for eight years, yeah. just before COVID. And then we found, um, of course, COVID stopped it. Um, we also found that, you know, after that terrible tragedy uh, in Bombay at the um, at the Phoenix thing, where there was that fire. Yeah, yeah. After that, all the licensing became very difficult. So, you know, you had to do this enormous licensing for every event, which meant that the commercials went a bit crazy. Cool. Um, so, you know, and it was just at that time when COVID was then coming in. So we said, let's take a break. Um, and we haven't started again because I wanted to make sure that COVID was closed because it's now going to take at least six months to prepare anything. My son has started something in Pune. He does something called the Pune Brew, Brew Out, which is more a food and drink fest, not so much of the products, but just to keep in. And he does it at the Turf Club. So, yeah, maybe next year we start a smaller version and we maybe just do it in Pune in Bombay. That's lovely. So looking forward to that. You know, the problem with uh, talking with you, it's not a problem, but I mean, it's such a beautiful, colorful sort of life of yours that there's so many stories to talk so about. So many stories. That's what people have. So many stories. You've got so many stories. That, that uh, you know, your, your book, you know, is uh, something which I wanted to speak about. Yes. Because, in fact, uh, my friend Manisha, who met you, uh, she's been poking through the book. Oh, great. <laughs> so Successful, so I hope. No, very, very successfully. Yes, yes, very successfully. So um, tell us a bit about the name, Masala Mem Sahib. Well, that's me. So, you know, it's a, it's it's all about my recipe that I've collected. They're certainly not all mine. Mm -hmm. They're recipes that I've collected in the last 30 years from various people. Um, some are traditional, some are twists, some are, you know, one of the recipes is from my driver's, you know, uh, yeah, sure, uh, mother. So they're a collection of recipes, of Indian recipes. Um, and it's all about my life as well. So it's uh, in terms of food, of course. So it's it's all about how I came into food, why I, I've now chosen this journey with Indian food after doing Western for so long. It's not that I stop Western food. I still eat Western food. But I, I think there is so much in Indian food that we haven't discovered. Um, and I think it needs to be documented. Yeah, in fact, um, like you said, it, it brings out all of, uh, two different parts of your thing. And what I liked about the book is that, of course, it has uh, recipes. I mean, it is a recipe book, but there are anecdotes with, you know, each recipe or when you're starting a new chapter, um, you know, with the five sort of regions which you've taken, Calcutta, Goa, Maharashtra, Kerala, uh, you, you spend a few pages writing about your connection uh, with it. Uh, the introduction as well. So there's a lot to read as well, because sometimes if it's just recipes and, and if you're not someone who's cooking from recipes like um, me, then you don't know what to do with the recipe box. Uh, but there, but there's so much to read. Was it, wasn't it conscious? Well, I, I, that was the intention. So I hope it's a, it's a good read, even if you don't do the recipes. No, it is, it is. Now, um, are there any sort of favorite recipes from here or something you'd want uh, people to cook first? Well, the last 
chapter. I always say Goa because I'm from Goa and there are a lot of family recipes in there. But there are family recipes in Gujarat from my husband's family. There are lots of Maharashtrian family recipes. Um, but I think in 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 the chapter on just for memorable meals, it's got some Parsi recipes, yeah. some Sindhi recipes, which didn't fit into a chapter. And yeah. I, I quite enjoyed those, you know, like when I went to Ladakh and I discovered something, when I went to my um, my daughter-in-law's home in Assam, uh, discovered a couple of things there. So that's fun because they're all about stories, but they're all about just snippets of regional food. And there's quite a lot of quite interesting short recipes. In fact, another thing which I liked about the book are the quality of, you know, the way it's laid out or the quality of photographs. I mean, the food as well as the personal photographs, it sort of brings it alive in a way which uh, Indian print books are still not there really. But, I mean, it's more like yeah. the international standard. Unfortunately, very few in, in the Indian food books are um, at that thing. So again, was it a conscious effort? Oh to... yeah, that was a conscious effort. I mean, if I had the budget, I would have hired one photographer. Um, I was given the um, a couple of, I knew what I wanted to do. And I was given a couple of references. One was a fantastic book on Venice um, by, we've got on my shelf, someone noted. And um, there's a, a, a photographer called Jenny Sarens, uh, Swedish from London, and she has done the whole book. So whether it's the recipes or him walking down a street in Venice or whatever, she's done it. And of course, when you have that kind of budget, she's done also some of the Otto Lenghi, I think, um, Sami Tamimi books on, I think, not Jerusalem, the Palestine book. So when you have that, you have one person's vision mm. of both the recipes and uh, the situation. That would have been my ideal. And that's what I wanted to do. Now, COVID came in, budgets came in, um, managed, I initially started off with another publisher uh, they had issues, you know, with all sorts of, went to an agent, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, God, uh, I must tell you this, that uh, the book I was working with on The Diary of a Cat Dad, which was with a publisher who works on the crowdfunding uh, sort of this. Yeah. So they just got in touch with me a week back saying that yeah. they're wrapping up the company. Great. So, oh, wrapping yeah, it up. Oh. Wrapping it up. So. Oh, uh, you did say in your message. Yeah. yeah and and they, they refunded everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, so And that was pretty good. Uh, my wife was saying you should come out in public and sort of say that. I was saying that, you know, do you want to do well, There's that? another publisher called Duck Bill or something that does a lot of interesting smaller books for children and stuff. Have you tried them? Uh, not yet, but but oh, like you said, I mean, uh, with an agent and then... Uh, okay. But I'll definitely... Keep... This is not a book for kids, though. I mean, it's, it's a ah, book it's not. for grown-ups and, and, you know, a okay. bit like Marley and Me, but, but you know, in a... In a ah, okay. Yeah. So before I finish, and, and I'm sure you've met a lot of uh, Calcuttans. You've you've lived there for a, yes. a short bit. I've never lived there, but I've worked a lot there. So yeah, yeah I love Calcutta. And um, there's a particular thing which you've sort of included, which is a quote from uh, Minal Sen on mm. Bengalis. I don't know if you remember that, but otherwise I'll... More or less. <laughs> yeah. So well, you, the, it does that sort of... Manales, when I met him, I didn't really know who he was. I knew he was a filmmaker. Yeah. And of course, I'd seen a couple of his films, but I didn't really know the grandeur of it. all. And I met yeah. him at some coffee shop in Calcutta, you know, and he talks and talks and talks and talks <laughs> and what I do. Uh, 
No, but but he he sort of said this thing about the Bengali being the one who just stays on uh, till you know the till the shot, shop shuts, you know, and eating plates and. Well, he said lots of things. He also uh, said the Bengali man, you know, the Bengali man cooks, right? Whereas a lot uh, of other Indian men don't cook. But he said much. more than that. He said Bengali men love to shop. Yeah, love the to buy their fish. The mutton shopping. Fish shopping, you yeah. know, is a big thing. And then he said to me, "You know why?" I couldn't put it in the book because it's not really, um, you know, mentionable. Sure. But he said, you know why? And I said, well, why? He said, because, you know, um, on the way to the brothel, at, uh, on the way to the market at Garihat, the brothels were just behind or whatever. So they, you know, go there, buy their fish and come back. So the fish was a good excuse for having, you know, a good time as well. Yeah. So he, he came up with lots of anecdotes like that. I'll read out what he said. Mm. Um, you know, how will you recognize a Bengali? Look around you. We men love to sit in cafes and procrastinate all day long, chatting about any subject. Others will come and go, but the Bengali will only leave when it's time for dinner. And the other thing is that the Bengali men will, uh, man will willingly go is the fish market. Yeah. So just before closing, I mean, you, you've met, come across many Bengalis for the book you worked with on Inder and uh, Madhu. Uh, remember saying Madhushifas on the thing. Well, they were great, as I said. Yeah. So when when my so so since I didn't have one photographer to do everything, I said, okay, what do I do? Then let's make it like a collage. Let's make the intro like a collage with all sorts of pictures from my past. So that makes it, you know, a bit like a, a storybook. Um, I would still like to do my pet project, which is do one photographer, but that's fine. And then I got we had COVID. So yeah. I had no no photographer could come to Pune. I couldn't go anywhere. We were all stuck at home. So I called uh, Anandita Madhushri, whom Anandita uh, uh, Madhushri, who I'd worked with uh, before on some things in the market. Lovely couple, and yeah. they had just got into photography. Yes, and I think what they're doing is very very precious. You know, it's yeah. all Bengali uh, yeah. blog, and uh, they've really worked very hard at it, um, and deserve everything. And they said, look, we, we've got proper cameras now and all that. So I said, look, I knew very clearly in my mind what I, how I wanted the shots. They hadn't because they were working with hotels and restaurants, yeah, yeah. And, you know, tailoring to that. So, you know, we worked and, on, you know, because their children are very young and their children were at home yeah. uh, because of school being closed. We had to work after nine o'clock and after nine o'clock, I'm half dead, you know, <laughs> so we had to either work at seven in the morning till mm. their kids went to school or after nine. And then what I would do is a kind of storyboard. So I would send them references, send them pictures. I want it looking like this. Oh. Uh, I couldn't send them, um, you know, um, pots and pans and what it was, nothing was possible. Yeah. So I think given all of that, um, they did about 35 photographs for me for the book. And then I had a few, which I just took on my phone and crossed my fingers and it worked. Because um, I used to do quite a lot of photography before, but, you know, SLR cameras and all that. So I knew I had some which were quite mm -hmm. nice um, and mm -hmm. some which are which are theirs and which are clearly professional. And uh, and I think it kind of works. It's not perfect, but it it worked. And, it you know, for me, it's also the kind of people you work with. Absolutely. And they were very sweet to work with and very accommodating. Yeah, I mean, I know them from the time when this started. Yeah. Um, at that time, more socially. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's been amazing to see the journey and the fact that they've got into photography and videos like professionally. You yeah. still have the question on Bengali men. Does it does it fit with Minas and you know, the description of Bengali men? It's true. Is it true? You tell <laughs> I, me. I, I would say so. I would say so. <laughs> I would they're, all, they're all into food anyway. Yes. No, no. But, but a bit that, you know, you just sit and chat you know, and, and talk till the shop shuts. Till the shop shuts. Yeah, and I'm then you must tell you there's one Bengali recipe which I make a lot, which is the dood match. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that recipe Mother Shri gave me. And when I told Anjan Chatterjee about it, who has old Calcutta yeah. and you know Chorangi in London, or he'd never heard of it. And he said, I've never heard of Dood Match, Doi Match. Yes. Yeah. I said, I don't know whether it's a particular family thing or but I make that recipe everywhere wow. i love it i make it in italy i make it in london because i just i carry my punch for with me oh. from that great company now in that sends it from calcutta um i carry my don't laugh i carry mustard oil with me <laughs> i decant it into a small bottle that looks like a perfume bottle but it's not so that it you know it's just a small 100 ml bottle because i find without good mustard oil yeah. and without punch for then you really can't do True. half these things you know but fact, um, you, you call yourself the friend with a frying pan. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> the fiend with a frying pan, yeah. So I, I I do that. I carry, this time I even carried Suhana masala. Usually yeah. I never do that. But I carry the prawn uh, curry. I carried the fish curry. Because, you know, sometimes I, no one, I don't mind making it, but people don't have grinders abroad. And so they don't have grinders. Too, I mean, there's a bit of this debate about you know, moving away from the way your grandma did it. But there's the other point of view that this is just liberating women because I agree. it gives you time to do stuff. Totally. Why, why, why and not only that, these ready-made products that you've seen, Sohana helped me get mm. the money together at least to pay the photographers and so on so we could have a half-decent product. Um, I tried all their products because I'm not going to endorse something I don't uh, yeah. agree. And apart from, I think, their tandoori, which is a masala paste, yeah. Uh, and one other product, the other 35 that I tried were amazing. And I use, I travel with those, their black dal packet. So you boil your dal, you do something, you fry an onion or something, yeah. and then you put in there, you know, because it's a dry powder, and then you put in the water, it's, um, it works as a fresh product. And the oil and is in your control. And the oil is in your control. The oil, the cream. The oil, the protein, you know. So I did the prawn curry there. And I carried my coconut milk because in Italy, I don't know what coconut milk. England, everything's available. But I, you know, if I've got the weight, I just carry it. It's easier for me to put it all into a box and carry it. Because more often than not, people will say, cook something. And then I'm stuck (laughs) because I I spend half the time shopping. If If I have my basic ingredients, then all I have to do is go and get prawns or something, you know. So, Karen, it was lovely uh, speaking with you and folks. Thank you, I'm sorry I waffled on. No, no, not at all. I mean, you had so many interesting st- uh, things to say that I didn't want to stop you. And, uh, you know, this is the book. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, I hope it's showing because this. Yeah, yeah. Put it near towards you because it's, yeah, it's yeah. Blur- no, towards yeah. you, not towards the camera. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. that's better because it was blurring. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much. Pleasure. You know, our house is uh, going through renovation. So, they're seven eight chairs piled before me so that's why this mode but but it's an excellent book like i said my friend uh, manisha cooks from it there's a lot to read and um 
who knows if you're like kind of if you're like um if she, if you're in her good books uh, karen might come and uh, cook in her house sure or you come to pune and cook here absolutely absolutely absolute pleasure talking to you thank, thank you. you bye kalyan bye